0: my microphone was muted oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I, thought I, had, I thought I had pushed the
1: button well see that's why that's why uh, wow sorry, okay. say something, that,
0: that's, that's going at the end of the episode holy <laughs> shit okay <clears throat> wow you guys
2: were so right. nice and silent yeah <laughs> I was like
0: Cicero was like, whoa okay alright here we go Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 10 of Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives deeply into the weeds of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our wonderful panel, including Rachel Clow. Howdy, Chris. Hi, Rachel. Nice to see you again. <laughs> Cicero Holmes. Hi, <Hiya>, you folks. <laughs> and Zaki Hassan. Howdy, howdy. And uh, this week's show has been a long time coming since we're going to be taking a relatively holistic approach to every episode of Star Trek Discovery that has aired thus far this season, all of which comprise the show's chapter one, as the producers have called it. Uh, But to help us do that, we have brought aboard a very special guest to the panel with us. He's described himself as an aspiring filmmaker, a chronic photographer, and a, quote, armchair anthropologist. He's journeyed to the bottom of the earth and took his camera with him, and he's provided some of the absolute best, most thought-provoking and in-depth commentaries of the entire Star Trek franchise through the creation of his YouTube channel, Trexpertise. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is Mr. Kyle Sullivan. Kyle, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lovely introduction. I, well, hey, I, and I, I mean every word of it, but really thrilled to have you here. So, Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself, and more specifically, what is it about the Star Trek franchise that makes it such an immense focus for your filmmaking and analytical talents?
3: Um, well, let's see. Uh, I work in video and film production in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been pointing cameras at things since before I realized I could do that as a profession. Uh Before getting into the business, I went to school to be a scientist. I wanted to finish a PhD somewhere in exobiology. Mm. Uh, But my love of moving pictures took precedent. Uh, Why am I drawn to Star Trek? I think I basically found the characters to be compelling. They made an impression on me, like a modern Aesop's fable kind of a thing. And as a kid, I was drawn to that. Uh, And also, you know, speaking from an academic perspective, Star Trek is half a century old, uh, teams and teams of people coming to bat to write for the show. It ends up being less of a show and more of a time capsule of American culture, like a microscope in a way through which we can understand what's happening in the country and in the West. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's really what keeps me, uh, intellectually motivated to watch more Star Trek.
0: Absolutely. And what a franchise to give you an abundance of material in, uh, in that respect, but, uh, well, to, to, to get a little bit more of an idea of what your specific fandom looks like is one of the things we do here on the show pretty often in the opening segment is tell people about how we've engaged with the franchise since the last time we recorded an episode. But since this is your first time with us, give us an idea of how you regularly interact with the franchise outside, of course, watching new episodes of Discovery. Is it kind of the same with us where it's always on in the background to some degree, or is it do you have enough of a repository of, of memories to go off of with the franchise? How do you engage with it on a regular basis? Um, I have a pretty good
3: repository. I've got a copy of the Star Trek Encyclopedia, various versions mm-hmm. sitting nearby. I uh, probably interact with it a little more unusually than most since I'm since I make these YouTube videos. I often pop into episodes for 10 minutes at a time. Uh, pick up what I need and pop back out or watch portions of episodes for research. Uh, sometimes it's an animated series episode. Sometimes it's the most hated DS9 episode. You know, it, it's random. It's out of sequence. It's out of context sometimes. But I, I know mm. all of it well enough that it doesn't really matter. So I guess it's kind sure.
0: of on in the background in a way. And constantly creating new material. I, I, it's, it's funny you bring up the Star Trek encyclopedia. I mean, that was something that I probably read every day from age eight to 16, just mm-hmm. because I had, I think I had two different revisions of it from when I was a kid. I haven't gotten the latest one, but I certainly want to. Oh, it's so weird. But uh, it is. I mean, the Okudas and Doug Drexler, and I think Debbie Mara contributed to it too, did such a fantastic job. And it was really the progenitor of something like memory alpha of course Mm -hmm. but they just the contextual information that they provide is so great and it and it's fun to read too it's fun to read it's almost whimsical in places yeah
3: i'm guessing the Akutas are like really funny people in person real dry kind Mm -hmm. of a wit and it really shines in the encyclopedias
0: yeah yeah absolutely Well, everyone on this panel usually has different answers for what their favorite Trek series and movie is. What are yours and why? Uh, The favorite Trek film,
3: hands down without question, is the motion picture. Especially the director's Mm. cut. I observe that everyone's criticism about being the slowest Trek is well-earned. But to me, that's like quintessential science fiction. Like Before Star Trek became an established universe, it was a science fiction show. And the motion picture is like, some hardcore classic science fiction and uh, i really dug that and i still dig it um favorite show probably ds9 although mm-hmm. if i were going to pop a quick episode on it will be the yeah. next generation
0: sure yeah and i think most of the people on this panel recognize the general superiority of deep space nine uh it's on the, on the previous episode i think some of us have even referred to it as maybe the uh the unsung hero of the franchise at large and i Personally, I certainly recognize it as uh, maybe the objective best show, even though my favorite is the original series, but yeah, we, we all have much love for Deep Space Nine, but uh, hearing that your favorite is the motion picture says a lot about the kinds of uh, sensibilities that you have when it comes to absorbing true science fiction. So I can absolutely admire that, (laughs) but but uh, let's go around to uh, the rest of the panel real quickly to see, because it's been two weeks since we yes. recorded with okay. our full panel. And uh, so I'd like to see how everybody has been checking in with Trek since the last time we recorded. So, Zachy, uh, we went through a holiday. We went through Thanksgiving break, and uh, you had hopefully some, some nice time with your family. But did you guys continue your broadcast order rewatch of the franchise?
4: Yeah, it's been, it's been a busy couple weeks. I got through... Uh, three episodes of Deep Space Nine, um, Blood Oath, which uh, brought back the the Klingons from the original series. Yes, uh, went through that. That was actually a lot of fun because um, afterwards I got to because my my kids haven't seen uh, all of the original series. So I was like, oh, you know, they're actually characters from the original show. And then I played them little clips of Kang and Kor and Koloth, and mm-hmm. they got to, and of course they're like, how come the Klingons <laughs> look so different? And then I got to put <laughs> on that talk whole about rabbit that. hole uh, with the- <laughs> <laughs> and then um after after that, I watched uh Journey's End, which is the final. Wesley Crusher episode, and it also introduces uh, the, the um, uh, you know the, the Native American tribe that that Chakotay is going to be a part of later, and then right after that we watch the Maquis two-parter, which of course introduces the Maquis. So I feel like it's it's kind of cool because we're we're winding down Next Generation, we're setting up Voyager, Deep Space Nine is is just chugging along, and it's just you know really finding its groove. So this is a fun era of Trek to be going through with the kids, you know.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So you had to absorb quite a bit, but it sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Cicero, how about you, man? What have you been up to with uh with Star Trek?
1: So my Star Trek uh adventure has been rewatching Discovery, uh some of my favorite episodes of this first half of the first season mm-hmm. over turkey legs and mac and cheese. Beautiful. Um and and uh continuing to watch, absorb and enjoy the Orville, <laughs> and uh, is it still hitting the right notes for you? Are you still enjoying it it? it? it it is it is very much you know it is very much TNG, uh, Seth MacFarlane style. Um, mm-hmm. you know for for better or for worse, but the you know but the stories are are really top notch and and i've as i've uh investigated i found that a lot of the old writers or at least some of the old writers are uh either showrunners or, or writers for uh for the orville from from tng mm. are writers on the orville so cool. yeah it's got it's got uh, good dna
0: so you have not yet watched the 4k blu-ray i lent you of star trek beyond
1: oh i i most certainly have <laughs> I must certainly have watched it in all its 4K uh, beauty and and just it, it 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 definitely having sat back and and uh, existed within the Trek universe a little bit more, um, being in a good place and being able to sit down on my couch and re- rewind things. Um, I've I've enjoyed that. That movie much more than I did in the theater. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so yeah, to so know. I am coming. I am coming around. I probably will need to watch it again. Sure. To see if I go full circle. on well,
0: it. Well, hold on to it by all means. Please do. Oh,
1: thank you,
0: Kyle. Have you watched the Orville? <laughs> oh yeah. Has Has that one? And what do you think of that show?
3: Um, I've got mixed feelings. I think it's <laughs> it's pretty good. It's uh, it's really good. The writing's razor sharp. It's clearly a comedy series. Um, it's mm-hmm. fun uh i do i do like Seth MacFarlane and uh things he puts together but i've got mixed feelings about it being so close to star trek i kind of wish they had been a little bit different it's clear they're hitting the next generation button and i'm not sure how to resolve Mm -hmm. it every time i watch it i'm aware of how close (laughs) it is there's a cognitive dissonance happening
0: sure (laughs) yeah totally understandable rachel what have you been up to? I, I mean, I know what you've been up to, but why don't you tell our listeners what you've been up to?
2: I've been watching uh, O'Brien suffer on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know how he suffers every, every season. So this season, he uh, went to prison in his mind. <laughs> and had a lot of ptsd based on it oh man and it's just it's it's like a little ridiculous at this point how how much that character
0: it's hard to watch sometimes i mean they just they they do so much to the poor man i know
2: just let him
0: live murders his cellmate spoiler alert sorry but i mean it's just that's definitely um, he's gotta live with that even though that's a really good
3: episode i'm it's. I'm surprised how black mirror it is in a sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, the the pedigree for Deep Space Nine is generally pretty. Not that there aren't bad episodes of that show, but uh, especially when it gets going, it really gets going, and that's something that I always love whenever I rewatch it. As for me, the only um, real engagements with the franchise that I uh, have undertaken so far have been with my VR headset. I've been playing quite a bit of Star Trek Bridge Crew lately just because it had been a while since I played it. And it is, by my estimation anyway, it's the best VR game I've played just because I've wanted to sit in that chair for so long. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Not, not a very significantly nuanced experience or there's not a lot of depth to it. But when it comes to putting you in the center seat, it's hard to get much better than that. But uh, why don't we move on? We have one news item, but it's a rather large one. And uh, I think it'll be a great opportunity to uh, take the temperature of where everybody sits with something that, at least to me, came far out of left field. So let's jump into a news item. So this news item has to do with the Kelvin timeline, and normally I wouldn't even think of mentioning an item like this under normal circumstances because it sounds so preposterous. But when it shows up in two Hollywood trades, in this case, The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline, uh, you have to at least mention it. And apparently none other than Quentin Tarantino has pitched an idea for a new Star Trek film to current cinematic steward of the franchise, J.J. Abrams, with Deadline specifically saying, quote, The plan is to assemble a writer's room of scribes who will hear Tarantino's take and begin to put together a movie. If it all works out, Tarantino might direct it with Abrams Producing. Now, this is especially interesting considering that recently a uh, December 2015 interview with Tarantino on the Nerdist podcast went relatively viral in the Trek fan community and saw him offer his perspective on what he might want to do with the franchise if ever given the chance, and in that interview, he specifically cited two of his favorite episodes in the entire franchise, the original series, The City on the Edge of Forever, and The Next Generation's Yesterday's Enterprise. So it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see where that could go, especially as it pertains to uh, to time travel. Uh, so what does everyone think about the idea of bringing someone who is, for all intents and purposes a consequential and controversial auteur into the fold of the Star Trek franchise. And on top of that, do you think this brings more of an experimental attitude to the cinematic arm of the franchise to maybe match the kinds of experimentations they're doing on discovery? Kyle, what do you think about this?
3: I'm, I'm mixed feelings. Um, if Tarantino is <clears throat> worth his weight as a director, then yeah, he, he can handle Star Trek. There's plenty of reference material available for him to study and Tarantino is really good about incorporating reference material. His uh, library of films are an open love letter to a random amalgamation of various sources and films. So I think he could probably do it just as a director. And if any of us are really worried about, I don't know, him putting too much of a Tarantino spin on it, I don't think Paramount would let him do it. And I think I think sure. he knows that going into it. Like It's like the Star Wars director's. Uh, for the new Star Wars trilogy you know these guys mm-hmm. come from different backgrounds different kinds of films when they step up into the Disney pocket they're doing what Disney tells them to do I don't know though Mike I just haven't seen Tarantino do a different film like every movie he's made has basically been the same film uh, repeatedly no offense to Tarantino fans it's not a criticism but that's
0: Tarantino and I don't know mm-hmm. how different he can be sure I think that's a valid perspective, Zaki. You had to have had a little bit of a, a, a wide eye when you saw this news, at least if I know you as well as I think I
4: do. <laughs> you know, I, I I will say up front, I'm not the Tarantino fanatic that a lot of people are. I can I acknowledge he's a talented storyteller. I just the majority of his stories are things I don't have a particular fondness for you know mm-hmm. sure uh th- that being said I, I i you know a lot of the commentary has been like oh you know this is going to be a bunch of curse words and you know uh uh you know they're going to have to to uh revive uhura with a needle to the heart after a drug overdose and, like, all the, <laughs> the cliches you know and and i'm kind of like i my sense of tarantino is he he wants to play in somebody else's playground, and and play within those limitations, and we see that, for example, in the the CSI episode that he directed, which was a CSI episode through and through. And I think I think you know a while ago, if you remember, he wanted to do uh, he wanted to do Casino Royale like before the Daniel Craig version. He was like, I got an idea for Casino Royale with Pierce Brosnan. They never did that. And so my sense is he's always had kind of a franchise idea. So with this, I'm kind of like, well. I'm definitely curious what he's come up with. I have no idea if it'll be good or bad, Mm -hmm. but ultimately given where the possibility of a fourth star Trek was like a month ago, which was non-existent. Yeah. Which we,
0: which we talked about.
4: Yeah. So I'm kind of like, well, if this jolts some life into the Kelvin timeline, I'm down. I mean, what the hell, right? The, the alternative is nothing. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's, let's boldly go. I mean, let's give this a shot.
0: I, I, I like the
1: invocation there. Very well done. <laughs> Cicero. Yeah, so I, I, I feel kind of similar to everyone else. I, I mean, I really do think that, uh, you know, people are expecting, expecting Tarantino to zag when he's going to clearly zig. You know, I mean, he's not going to go out there and make. You know, uh, Pulp Fiction, Star Trek, or you know, you know, yeah, sure, Inglorious Bastards of of you know the Federation or something like that. It's just, it's just, it's yeah. just not going to happen, Um, you know. Because if that's what he wanted to do, he would do it himself. You know, I mean, he's he's he clearly has the cachet to say that if he wants to make some type of sci fi epic, epic, Tarantino style in you know in the tarantino voice that everyone knows and and loves or doesn't um then he he could have done that already um so so Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean of course he's he's going to play within play within the rules um but he does have he he looks at things from from a very different lens and and that could be interesting and and you know like Zachy said there is there you know, a couple of months ago, we were talking about no Star Trek, hmm. and now there's a possibility of some Star Trek uh, directed by Tarantino, which will bring people to the, uh, to the theaters just out of morbid curiosity. Um, the right. thing that I'm hoping is that we that we do get some time travel uh, and we do see an older uh, Commander Sisko played by Samuel L. Jackson because of course he's got to be in the movie right and and he's like you know and he says those are those Cardassians and I hope they burn in hell
0: (laughs) (laughs) so man you play with my heart you bring up Cisco I told you what I wanted to see before I even knew what Discovery was you're playing with my heartstrings there well Rachel is kind of a Tarantino fan yeah, and you've kind of kept what you think about this at bay. You haven't really said anything. All right, too all right, long. all right.
2: First of all, I don't <laughs> believe this is actually going to happen. Okay. I will believe Fair. that it's happening when they are filming. Fair point. And even then, I'll be skeptical. Fair point. Uh, and B, I, I think this is going to be great. Like really? I, I know. I just think that people who are like, you know, saying. So there's gonna be swearing. It's a it's a failure of imagination. Okay. Okay. Um, like if you imagine the melding of Tarantino and Star Trek together, it could be really great because he is great at directing people talking
4: mm-hmm. and
2: having conversations, and you know that's a lot of what Star Trek is. And so I I think a lot of his skills can be applied in a really fun way here. So. Okay. And he's, like like the other panelists have said, he's great at sort of incorporating homages and, and nostalgia and mm-hmm. elements of other things into everything that he does. So I, I think that he will work really well um, within what exists. Like
0: an established canon.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, just from my perspective, I kind of think that Paramount is going to move heaven and earth to make sure that this happens, largely because, and Zachy, you brought this up when we talked about the prospects of a Kelvin timeline Star Trek IV. Paramount has had a pretty rough couple of years, and Star Trek is one of the few, probably right up there, I, I, would, I would assume with Mission Impossible, but Star Trek is one of the few marquee properties that they have that's bankable into the future, you know? I mean- Mission Impossible even probably has a ticking clock on it, depending on how long Tom Cruise wants to actually continue on with that franchise. But
4: oh, he's he's immortal. <laughs> he's he's <on. laughs> forever. Is
0: the answer. He, he drank unicorn blood. <laughs> uh, but uh, but Star Trek—that's something that can be at least conceivably exploited to the end of time in some form or fashion. And if they really want a big hit, granted. Zachy, yeah, I also agree with the other point that you made, that the budgets of Star Trek movies probably need to come down because beyond underperformed compared to how much was spent on it from a budgetary perspective. But if yeah. they had actually spent more reasonably on it, then it probably would have been a, at least a modest success. So if they want something to turn people's heads, I mean, they've already lost J.J. Abrams for the next couple of years in the director's chair since he agreed to do Star Wars Episode Nine. And just from a business perspective, I kind of think that they want this to happen in the worst way. But uh, we'll have to see if Tarantino can actually work within the constraints of a marquee property at a major movie studio. That's the only real doubt I have about it because he doesn't, outside of his television endeavors, he doesn't really do stuff that he doesn't own, you know, or that he hasn't created himself at least. So that's that. Uh, The only other thing that I wanted to bring up, at least in relation to news, and it sounds like we have quite a uh, some hot and cold on, on Tarantino and Star Trek. That's great. But uh, the only thing that I wanted to bring up is that last week, for those of you who don't make a regular Trek into a comic book store, there was a Star Trek Discovery comic book series that began called The Light of Kalos, that at least the first issue of which deals with Takuvma's childhood in a more direct way than we saw in the first couple of episodes of the show. Pretty interesting stuff, and I just wanted to to throw a little plug at it in there. There wasn't a lot in the first issue, especially if you've watched those first couple of episodes, but um, I have a feeling it's going to get pretty interesting, especially with Valk on the cover of the second issue. Who knows what's going to happen there? Ooh. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's barrel forward then. So we're going to review chapter one of season one of Star Trek discovery. So obviously the episodes that we've absorbed for the latest Star Trek series leave a significant amount of fodder for in-depth discussion, but it would likely be best to take a relatively holistic perspective to discussing this first chapter as a whole. So let's try and break this down into a couple of specific areas just you know, to keep the conversation simple but fun. So let's start with a simple statement of opinion. From your perspective, is Star Trek Discovery meeting, falling short of, or surpassing your expectations as an extension of a larger series you love, and why?
3: Kyle? Uh, I think that Discovery is surpassing my personal expectations. I haven't had this much fun with Star Trek since Deep Space Nine, probably. Uh, it's not only fun to be back in this universe, um... But to be back in this universe in a way that forces you to double down on your Trek fandom, I I find watching Discovery that I'm constantly delighted by how much the writers are referencing previous Trek and how much I need to know about the Trek universe in order to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And and yet Discovery is completely accessible to the casual viewer of modern TV. It's a really, if you look at it as a balancing act, it's pretty astonishing. So I think, on the whole, it's been very surprising. I've been constantly surprised by what this show has been doing.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you know some people might uh, if if they're a little bit more aware of the continuity implications, maybe they would feel tired in a in a way to have to pedal to keep up with mm. it as much. But I feel very similarly to you, and that that's actually invigorating mm. as a Star Trek fan because it's it's certainly surpassing my expectations as well. Rachel?
2: Uh, It is surpassing my expectations. Mm -hmm. My expectations were very low. Um,
0: But you were very anticipatory for the show.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. But it's also like the first season of most Star Trek shows is kind of rough, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I was just sort of expecting that. I don't know. I thought maybe it would be kind of like watered down. I I like the Kelvin timeline movies, but sometimes they feel a little Simple. like yeah, like they're they're too action-y or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um and so, so you, I, I you, guess I was kind of expecting something like that. And I feel like uh this has a lot of, of good meaty stuff for me to digest.
0: So your expectations so. then, if I'm reading this correctly, are somewhere or were somewhere between Shades of Grey and Spock's brain.
2: <laughs> well not that can't be not that delightfully campy like <laughs>
0: But but so so very solid so far. Yes.
1: Okay. Cicero. It is uh by far exceeding my expectations. Uh much like much like uh Rachel, I didn't I didn't have very high expectations. Um and it's not mm-hmm. because I thought it was going to be really bad or um it, it was just that I, I didn't know necessarily what to expect and what we've received has been um some of some of the best uh kind of nascent trek um that we've ever ever experienced. You know, I mean this is this is probably the strongest first nine episodes of any of any of the series, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um mm-hmm. so so yeah, I, I I'm really, really enjoying it. Perfect. Zachy.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I went in with with no idea what to expect and i was avoiding most of the the publicity and you know all the all the chatter ahead of time because i really just wanted to have uh, a a fresh slate and so with that in mind uh, i had no expectations at all really and so i think that worked in the show's favor because everything was surprising and i'm sort of open to whatever whatever they're willing to say i mean i think it helps that i really I made a conscious decision to be like, I'm I'm not gonna get hung up on all the stupid canon stuff that my, my nerd brain would normally <laughs> be like, you know, like spider sense tingling. I'm mixing my nerd metaphors, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, wait, why this? And why? And I'm like, you know what, whatever, if it's good, it's good. And I'll like, find my own headcanon to make it work. And so I think that's been the case. Uh, You know, certainly I'll tell you, part of the process of my appreciating the show has been doing this show with y'all because it's sort of like my weekly detox where I can sort of talk through my impressions and just hearing all of your points of view and stuff has really made it holistically a, a much more uh, enjoyable experience.
0: Oh, well, that's really nice to hear. Well, you know, when it comes to the making the headcanon stuff work or, or even just the specific continuity stuff in the show work, it seems like as, you know, as Kyle alluded to, and as certainly I feel, it is working within the wrinkles, the continuity. And, you know, you and I spoke more specifically about that, when we uh, talked about the really consequential events surrounding Sarek in, mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the chapter, you know, like the only things that seem, I guess, anachronistic in the continuity, maybe might be the appearance of the Klingons, but that's something that I think, you know, kind of folds into what you're saying as far as letting it slide and seeing where the show will take us. But, uh, yeah. But no, I mean... Also the technology. You, right, yeah, like the aesthetic appearance of computer consoles, compared, th- comparing that with uh, how the Enterprise bridge looked in the cage. There is a little bit of a disconnect there. But uh, in fact, Rachel and I were watching the cage um, a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her, can you see Discovery taking place 10 years <laughs> before this? And she said, well, I want to troll you, <laughs> but no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, let, let, let's continue this. Um What aspect of the show do you think has most defined Star Trek Discovery as a series thus far? Or to put it more simply, when you think of the show and how it aligns with your personal tastes, does a single moment come to mind or is it a character? What is it that truly serves to differentiate Discovery from other incarnations of Star Trek? Zachy, what do you think?
4: Well, I think the the main thing is our point of view, right? I mean, Star Trek has been... uh, almost as as part of its dna the show is an extension of the captain Mm -hmm. and so right off the top that they made a conscious decision here to say that we're going to see the captain from the perspective of another crew member and i think that that in and of itself is so fascinating because I mean, we've spent many, many a minute on this show talking about the enigmatic and fascinating captain Lorca and mm-hmm. what we deal with, what we think about him and stuff. And you got to say like, or dislike captain Lorca, you know, six episodes into like deep space nine or, or enterprise, you name it. You weren't like, what's Archer's deal? Like what's Cisco all about? What's he trying to do? Like we knew, right. Cause he was our point of view. They were our point of view. So that, I mean, You got to give it up for for them being willing to sort of break the framework and do something like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, what do you think?
3: Um, I I think the show's most defining quality is the serialization of it. I think it's on steroids compared to previous Trek versions of serialized storytelling, DS9 and uh, Enterprise and things like that. And I think that's the most defining quality of the show, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about quite a bit, especially in the early going about, uh, you know, what Star Trek needs to do in order to fit into the modern landscape of uh, of grade A television. And uh, Mm -hmm. serialization certainly helps in that respect. Cicero.
1: I think that uh, the thing that really endears me to to the show is the fact that it's, it's so in the biggest of quotes, unlike Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, is, it's such a departure from what everyone's expectations may or may not have been, um, about what a new Trek is supposed to be or what it should be and, and how, uh, the characterizations that we've had. And, you know, the other thing is the performances have all been remarkable. Uh, I mean, they're really like there was there was a time when we when we looked at cadet Tilly and said ah oh, she's a you know she's a little too bubbly mm-hmm. but but it turns out that she's exactly who she's supposed to be sure um I, th- I think the performances in this show are just absolutely phenomenal um and it really helps to sell what discovery is supposed to be absolutely rachel
2: Um, I think that the sort of defining aspect is the modernity Mm -hmm. of it, Um, both in the serialized storytelling, but also just the aesthetic um, is very modern. The production values are a little bit higher than maybe what we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, it's, it just, it feels very like, like something that, could be on tv now i guess
1: well it is yeah
2: i know <laughs> <laughs> which is like a, that was kind of a dumb answer i apologize no, no, but, no, um,
0: but but i can i can see what you mean i mean it um certainly an eight million dollar per episode production budget doesn't hurt matters
2: yeah um, and you can you can see that on screen
0: yeah so. yeah well uh I guess when it comes to me, the thing that I think is the, uh, the defining aspect of the show thus far comes down to two characters and that's Michael Burnham and Gabriel Lorca. Uh, I have not been so intrigued really in any television uh, quite like this, just the intrigue that's surrounding both of those characters and Lorca in particular. I mean, I love the fact that Michael Burnham is the lead character on this show, but when it comes to captain Lorca, uh, especially, Inhabiting a world that I know so well, that is what adds to his mystique because he's so unlike the previous captains. And we've talked ad nauseum about the kinds of things that Captain Lorca brings to the table, but the uh, the the slow peeling back of what his history is like. You know, we're learning just enough detail about where he comes from uh, to get pulled into the web of the narrative from from his. Not his perspective, but uh, it's just Captain Lorca strikes me as one of the most engaging mysteries on television in a way that I certainly wasn't expecting him to be. And maybe it's maybe that's part of it that I wasn't expecting the captain, normally the uh, the the, the gung ho front loading visible uh, totem of the starship, to be cloaked in, I mean, we see when the first time we see him, he's cloaked in darkness. And he even says, I like to remain mysterious. <laughs> and that's Gabriel Lorkin. I love that for it. But uh, so piggybacking off of that, and I think I just shared my perspective on it. So let's talk characters. Uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in addressing every single character that the show has introduced thus far. So why don't we go around the panel and discuss what you think the show has done well and not so well with the people that we've met thus far so zaki when it comes to the character work on star trek discovery what has it done well and what hasn't it done well
4: um i you know i think overall i've i've enjoyed the development i would say uh it took a little while for uh, for me to to warm to for example uh Stamets and and you know tilly and and I, you know I think sort of by osmosis I've come to appreciate them you know they're part of the family you know you spend enough time with them I I do feel like I, I, you know and, and this is something we talked about I mean I think devoting those first two episodes to what is you know a glorified prologue I think I think to me that was a misstep because I I think they should have gotten to the status quo of the show sooner and given us those all of the characters who we're spending the majority of our time with sooner, uh, because the more time we spend with them, the more we like them. Mm-hmm. So that that's my thought. Sure, on
0: I can I can see that perspective. Kyle, how about you?
3: Um, <clears throat> I've been most taken with uh, I think Brim as far as characterization. I mean, I get why people are upset by her. I, I think, but I, I think it's a genius move. You know, she's razor sharp, smart. She's deeply schooled, too well schooled in Vulcan logic. Viewers are naturally intimidated by her, but I think she's playing the character, the actress is playing the ke- character excellently. Mm. Uh, being raised by Vulcans as a human and being naive about her humanity. Uh, I mean, how else would any of us expect uh, Sonequa Martin-Green to, to play that? The actress in my opinion is doing very well. The character is a weird fascinating alternate look at the human condition. She's like a a mirror image of Spock. And my favorite thing about this so far is is that it's really nice to see some of these Spock-like themes on humanity back in Trek. That's been my takeaway.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's that's certainly resonated with me. Um, I mean, Spock is non-debatably one of the most iconic pillars of the entire franchise. So as soon as they sort of revealed what her connection was to Spock, I was automatically intrigued and hope I I would cross my fingers that they would do well with it. And they certainly have Rachel character work. What do you think?
2: Um, I agree with all of the positive things that you guys have said. Um, I, one thing that I don't like is that the Klingons I don't feel are super well characterized and I feel like I don't understand them because they have like too much makeup on. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I just, I, you know, I don't know when, when they're lying or when they're telling the truth. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. Like I think with Lorca it's intentional. You're not supposed sure. to know, yeah. Um, but Poker face Lorca. yeah, but with the, with some of the Kleons, I, you know, I, I get confused. I, I've gotten confused as to which characters are which right. in scenes, which is bad.
0: Well, and uh, you, you spoke about um, the fact that the Klingons, at least to a degree, not just physically, but character wise and culturally seem a little bit unrecognizable. And then you, you and I were both, applauding the fact that they became more recognizable in the mid-season finale
2: yeah for sure when they were like fighting at the end that and
0: they that, were in they were jovial about
2: yeah it. yeah that that was fine that was good i i think it's more what i'm addressing is the fact that i you know i i don't really know like what sets like what character traits set vok apart from other klingons mm-hmm. or you know i i don't really know who uh core is Cole. Cole. Cole, sorry yeah (laughs) like i i guess i don't have a lot of character traits for him i have just sort of
0: yeah because the the defining um, trait so far for klingons seems to be at least with the the most focused klingons besides call seems to be zealotry a, a degree of religious zealotry which is an interesting perspective to apply to them i mean we have a decent idea of what klingon faith looks like but it's taking it to a little bit more of an extreme compared with what we've seen before uh, outside of like the, uh, the monastery on Borath that Worf saw the clone of Kalis at, but uh, Cicero character work
1: thus far well and not so well. Um. Yeah. So a uh, particular character, uh, you know, I guess, I mean, we've, we've talked about Burnham. Uh, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about Lorca. Um, I will say too, um, Stamets. Uh, he started out as as kind of a dick, um, and and then you know, and then you you got to understand who he was fundamentally as a person, and then he became hashtag groovy Stamets, and uh, you know, and then and then I fell in love with him, um, but uh, but also Saru. Mm. Um, so, I was wondering who was going to bring Saru up right. first. So so Saru is a character that you know we've we've uh, you know Saru and Burnham are the only characters that have existed within every episode of the show um mm-hmm. and and Saru is one where and it's and it's really Saru's relationship with Burnham with this antagonistic almost um uh like fraternal sibling type rivalry or, 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 relationship that they, that they have, uh, that's, that's been very, very interesting. Um, and, and just in general, I think all of the characterizations are, like I've said before, superb, except the characterizations of the Klingons. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, their, their motivations, uh, don't necessarily seem to be clear. Uh, just, just everything—it's—it's kind of striking how just vanilla or, or ambiguous uh, the Klingons have been in terms of their motivations and you know what uh, what sets them off and what sets them apart from everything else in in the world because the the other characterizations that we've seen of you know of of the Federation uh, cast members have just been so fantastic mm. um and even you know and even vulcans uh even the vulcans that we've mm. seen they're just been so fantastic that that it it really is kind of uh it, it, you know it sets itself apart when when you look at the klingons and you're like well you know what what it is what is it about them why are they doing this why you know where where are we beyond just zealotry
0: Right. Sure. And, you know, kind of coming
1: off of that point, Kyle,
0: you did an examination of the Klingon people as a – it was a two-part expertise, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And how how has the conception of the Klingon people on Discovery uh, – how has that struck you thus far?
3: Uh, I've been pretty comfortable with it. Like, okay. I should find reason for it not to work or that they're flimsy to me, but I kind of get it because – I don't know, the Klingons have been sort of... Um, it, it only was until late next generation, mid to late next generation in DS9, where they kind of got a full-fledged third dimension added to them. They've always been kind of like a mm-hmm. paper-thin villainy, kind of a you know constant in the Star Trek universe. Um, I think this adds even more depth to them, even though I, I agree with some of the remarks about the Klingon characters individually being a little thin. But this whole dynamic... Of, of the Warring Houses and this period of Klingon history, like it adds a layer of richness I didn't expect to enjoy. I, mm-hmm. I kind of like it. I kind of dig it. And uh, I'm working every time to make the the canon inconsistency work. You know, in my mind, canon or whatever. You know, <laughs> right. the fact that they look so different. I think the show will address that, and I think that we're going to see more of the the Klingon culture. I think it feels. I, I suspect it feels flat right now. Uh, because there's more for us to see, and I think that's what we should probably uh, at least hope for.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, and you know, I even mentioned your theory about progenitor Klingons on this show before, and I mm. thought that that was fascinating because uh, you, you, I think you're right. There seems to be kind of a biological medium, at least, if you wanted to extrapolate backwards, which is mm. kind of cool. But uh, let's let's get into plot. And Kyle, I wanted to throw it to you first because. When you and I initially spoke about potentially coming on the show, you'd mentioned to me that the essay format of Trexpertise didn't allow a lot of normative judgment on your part as much as it was about analyzing the show in the context of the wider multiverse. A word that you go out of your way to use in most Trexpertise videos, you make clear that you characterize this as a multiverse and the the evidence is clear on, uh, on why that's the case. But get normative for me. How do you think the stories... On discovery thus far have hit in regards to both their own merits as well as in the wider pantheon of what you feel constitutes star trek as a narrative entity or put more simply would you classify discovery as good star trek
3: um yeah i would i think i think definitively discovery is good good track i think the show balances the needs of the franchise uh, with the needs of being a modern tv show very well on the average And I think we can all agree that there are some odd moments here and there that don't fit quite well. But I think it comes down to a balance issue when they lean too heavily on the franchise and not on the modernity side. Uh, If it Mm -hmm. wasn't a Star Trek show, for example, we wouldn't see instances like that. But on the whole, I think Discovery is punching far above its weight in terms of good Trek. Um, This is a far more ambitious kind of thing that they're doing. And in terms of quality of writing and production... Especially the writing. Everybody in the writers' room is a fan. Like we talked about the changes to the Klingon. Nobody in that room did that blindly. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they had particular reasons. Even if we don't understand why they changed them. Sure. Uh, Having that much uh, fandom inside the writing room—that's a higher level quality than what we typically see sometimes. And just generally, it's a much stronger opening than previous spin-offs. I mean, like I think. I think this is going to end up being one of the more stronger outings as far as Star Trek shows go.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how do you think it holds up in comparison with other, uh, let's say, AAA television?
3: That's uh, a little more uh, darker to see, I think, because it's so steeped in, in the franchise, because you have to have a working knowledge of what's happened previously in the universe to really, mm-hmm. like, really enjoy this show. I think that if a casual viewer who's really enjoyed like Break Bad or even Battlestar Galactica or, or any of these newer shows out these days, and they have not seen any Star Trek at all, they're going to, they're probably not going to see the value of it. I, I think that's still kind of a members only situation to a degree, but ironically, it's more accessible than, I don't know, jumping in mid season and DS9 somewhere, you know?
0: Sure. Or even if someone tries to jump in nowadays to something like Game of Thrones, it seems oh, like God, yeah. that show has a hell of an impetus on on a viewer to to keep up with what's happened before as well. But yeah, I mean, straight from the outset even if you get in on the ground floor of discovery. Absolutely. It definitely helps to have a working knowledge of the, uh, of the franchise at large. Well, uh, same question for the whole panel, because we've all been pretty effusive in our praise for the show overall. So does general enthusiasm still hold up as you wait for new episodes? Zachy.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, uh you know, to preface, uh, Discovery is really the only show that I'm watching regularly as it airs. And as as I mentioned off mic, part of that is because uh, this show itself is the impetus to doing that. But I mean, it's never a chore. It's never like, oh, God, okay, well, <laughs> here's, here's my, you know, here's my homework for the week. It's like, here's my, this is my, this is the, uh, my reward, like after my homework. Yeah. Like, okay, I finished all my work. Now I get to watch Star Trek you know so so I I definitely uh just to echo uh you know Kyle was saying I I I like the fact that it's it exists within this universe that I'm familiar with but it's going off in these completely different uh directions both uh in narrative terms but also uh, aesthetically and, and and stylistically so uh I I appreciate that and and I too I mean I wonder you know, what What are the boundaries of what, like, died in the wool Trek fans will accept? Like, how far will their fandom ex- extend? I'm, I'm curious myself to see uh, as the show progresses, does it, will it be forced to sort of retract and become more, quote-unquote, trekish, ish Or will people be willing to let them boldly go in, you know, new directions?
0: That's a very excellent question. And, uh, you know, we had discussed before different levels of, Star Trek fandom, and everybody has di- very different ideas of what constitutes quote-unquote definitive Star Trek, just because uh, since the franchise has been around for so long, people have entered it at different points, and it's <laughs> there's, there's no uniform idea. It's very much like, uh, well, I mean, I encounter Batman fans all the time. Well, definitive Batman is Tim Burton's, or definitive Batman is Adam West's, or definitive Batman is Christian Bales. Star Trek is getting to a point now where it looks so or, or Rachel says George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: but, <laughs> that nippers, that yeah. is wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's it's getting to a point now where Star Trek is is similar in how many different ways people can perceive it, even though tonally it hasn't really wavered all that much since the since the sixties at least. But Rachel, yeah. uh general enthusiasm and is discovery good Star Trek.
2: Discovery is Star Trek and it is good. Therefore, <laughs> it is good Star Trek. It feels like Star Trek to me. It's got so many of the same elements and themes and just because it's so modern, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't make it not Star Trek. It. And frankly, the people who are like hating on it, they need to start. You know, working on their physical fitness <laughs> and training for a triathlon <laughs> because they have too much energy. Okay.
1: Okay. That
2: was a swerve.
1: You went in a different direction.
2: <laughs> no. Like I don't know where they get it because the things I don't like, I just I don't have the energy to like complain about it on the internet, and I I don't know where these people are getting this energy, and they need to channel it into
0: something like more a, productive.
2: A try, well, not not necessarily, just <laughs> get on the treadmill if you're like mad about Star Trek. Discovery is not my Star Trek. Just- Get on the treadmill. Just
0: jump on the treadmill, turn up Eye of the Tiger, and start punching the air. Watch
2: the old Star Trek that you like.
0: Hang a picture of Jason Isaacs up. <laughs> and punch too, right, <laughs> or do that all if you right, like no. the show, because he probably deserves a punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's the thing. Like, uh, Zaki always talks about this, uh, this, this wheel that he's operating off of when it comes to liking Captain Lorca and admiring Captain <laughs> Lorca, and it changes right. depending on the week, just with Ooh. all the crap that he seems to get up to. But uh,
1: <laughs> well, uh, Cicero. General enthusiasm and uh, is this good Star Trek? It's it's not good Star Trek. It's fantastic Star Trek. Ah uh, uh-huh. oh yes. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it, we're going to run right, off the road, right. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's so so. Here's the thing: if if this was if this was the Orville, Sands the comedy um and you know basically tng this was another if this was another voyager um i i i wouldn't have liked it hell even if it was another ds9 i probably would have liked it but i wouldn't have wanted to pay ten dollars a month to watch it and Mm -hmm. and it's not that it is damn good tv and you know and 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 uh you know thank the maker for for chris clow for inviting me uh to participate on this show because if oh, no. because if it weren't you know i'm mixing i'm mixing uh fandoms too <laughs> you're mixing other universes <laughs> yeah, exactly. here exactly um but if you know if it weren't for that i wouldn't have paid 10 bucks a month uh to watch this show and it is uh quite honestly the only show that i watch pretty much uh the The night it comes on, the night hmm, it airs. Wow. Um, well, you know, almost immediately after it airs, CBS. You can make your checks out to Chris Cloud, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, it is a fantastic show. It, you know, it, and it is so good that my partner who. Who has a a very, very passing interest in sci-fi only thanks to yours truly will actively wants to sit down and watch the show. That's a good sign. Um, This, yeah. So this is, you know, this is uh, the only sci-fi show and really the only fantasy show that we watch outside of Game of Thrones, which everybody watches. And now, Cicero, and, let me let me, cool. let
0: me interrupt you quickly, yeah, just sure. because. So we we spoke a little, a couple of minutes ago about, uh, you know, peddling to keep up and knowledge of the franchise. Right? Is she asking you a lot of contextual questions, or is she rolling with it?
1: She's just rolling with it, and you know, okay. I kind of I kind of wish. So, and and that's like, so it is it is interesting. It's really interesting because as Kyle is talking about. How much he's getting it, you know, how much enjoyment he's getting out of the show because of his encyclopedic knowledge of the universe. Um, it is interesting to to witness that dichotomy in my own house, hmm. in my own household, where the only consumption of of Trek that my partner has had it has been of the Kelvin movies and of Discovery, of nothing, literally nothing else. Wow. um uh, so and and so she isn't asking those questions and I I kind of wish that she that she was um uh, mm-hmm. but she's but she's enjoying the show and that's all that matters to me at this at this moment my hope is that as we go deeper and deeper into the show that she'll want to either want to investigate more of the lore and more of the Canon uh discover more of the universe uh, no pun intended. But or or at least at the very least, be open to me suggesting, hey, let's watch some of the the shows that may have come may have preceded it in real lifetime, but may have proceeded it in in the in the Trek timeline. So sure. Um, it, oh, it, that's it, great. It, it that's definitely great. would be cool to to see if that happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful perspective. Well. Let's start winding this down and go into our final thoughts on the first chapter. So if you had to assign a letter grade to chapter one, what would it be? And is that grade hard or soft? And do you see that grade changing by the end of the season, or do you need more context to know for sure? Zachy?
4: You know, I'd go with the B plus right now, and uh I, I frame that as it's very solid, it's heading in the right direction, but there is still room for mm-hmm. improvement. Uh and And that's sort of contingent on obviously where things go from here. so uh, very, very solid, certainly, no no major complaints from my.
0: End. Excellent. Kyle, are you comfortable with giving this a letter grade right now, or do you think it's something that you need to sit with a little bit more?
3: No, I, I'm very comfortable. Uh, at least a solid B plus, I think. Um, okay, same as Zacky. the uh, it's gonna get better. I feel that they're gonna find uh, a much tighter groove to write with and to perform with i think that some of the growing pains we're seeing now are just growing pains and we'll get past it it'll become a very seasoned show and uh, at that point it's going to be really solid so b plus i
0: think okay and uh i think i heard a little bit of a reaction earlier but how do you think it compares thus far with very early season one of uh of other trek shows oh man it's um Light years ahead of most most <laughs> first seasons and i say that
3: with the m- utmost affection sure next generation oh the first couple of se- uh, episodes of ds9 I, the first yeah. i don't know how many eight years of voyager look th- this is um this is a very strong very strong opening and i think that uh, that goes a long way like if you're a trek veteran you know how bad <laughs> you know where the lows are the 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 gray yeah. shades of Spock's brain, as it was mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, so I mean, like we haven't had anything that that bad at all. It's been really solid. So I think like it has nowhere else to go but up.
0: Hmm. Great. Yeah, and I I certainly tend to agree. I mean, at least from my perspective, this is the best first few episodes of a Star Trek series, maybe since the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, the season one of the original series is probably the the best of that show but granted there's a far uh far lower level of samples to draw from when it comes to to tos and kyle like you i'm also uh, a fan of the animated series Mm. Uh, obviously there you know there were some a a couple of weirder ones in there but (laughs) overall i mean it's still great star trek and i'd much rather watch that compared with a lot of other things but rachel letter yes. grade for what we've seen so far and how does it compare with what we've seen before
2: all right um i'm boring and i'm <laughs> giving it a b plus also but i i came up with the grade before i heard Zachy and kyle say okay so this is independent
0: um <laughs> you're retconning it in there <laughs> right
2: <laughs> yes um but yeah i think it's i think it's been good i think i docked it a little bit because you know, I'm still a little bit lukewarm about the the first two, like, kind of prologue episodes and, and how that – See, that's fascinating you know? to me. I, I mean,
3: yeah, go for oh, it. Oh, no, I'm so, I was just agreeing with you, Mick. I, I found those two episodes to be really great, you know. I, I secretly wanted this to be an anthology show. And when they changed gears by episode yeah. three, I was like, yeah. this is the kind of exploration I want to do. Like, I want to change gears a lot. So right. I, I was really – I mean, I understand it being disorientating. Uh, but I, I thought that was a great move, personally.
0: What, what did Rachel? What did you find as shortcomings specifically? Just like that, we didn't get going fast enough.
3: Yeah. So
2: this is a very slight right. doc, right? 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 It's like no, from no, i from a... You, <laughs> um, you it's... love
0: the show, but
2: yeah, yeah. Um, I I just wanted to know. I guess I, I like the character building from. Uh, for other characters besides the main character. And so while I liked all of the sort of uh, the character progression that we got with Michael in those episodes, I just, I feel like I would have liked a speedier introduction to like Stamets and Tilly and
0: Lorca,
2: Lorca and, and Saru. And, and I think that once we got to the discovery and those accessory characters added, they added a lot for me and Ash Tyler has added a lot for me. Oh
0: boy. And we haven't even uh, touched that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, so while I, I really like the character of Michael, I like the aspects of the show that are sort of more ensemble. Um, and the the first couple of episodes didn't have that. And I didn't realize I was missing it until mm-hmm. the re- I watched the rest of the show.
0: Okay. So- Before I throw it to you, Cicero, see the thing that, or at least the moment that single-handedly justified the, the first two episodes to me was in the, the chapter one finale when you see call holding captain Giorgio's badge.
2: Yeah, that was cool. I
0: mean, my heart stopped when I saw her name on it and I was not expecting that, you know, like here I am, I've revered characters like Christopher Pike and, and James T Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard and Benjamin Sisko and, and Catherine Janeway so much and all of a sudden, through two episodes and a couple of you know pieces of expository work later, she is in that league. You know, like I, I am really kind of surprised at how much I gravitated towards Captain Giorgio and Michael's immense, I guess she's just consumed with the idea of living up to what her what Captain Giorgio's expectations were of her. And I want her to, you know, I want her so bad to live up to that image and of, of to live up to that potential that Captain Giorgio saw. And it was the book too, the Desperate Hours novel that we talked about last week that kind of cemented that even further. I was really sad when we didn't get more of Captain Giorgio, and it's another reason I'm looking forward to the next book that comes out in February. You know, I just. Yeah i i was flabbergasted by how emotionally affected i was by that moment and uh and that's to say nothing of the actual content of the first two episodes themselves but uh cicero letter grade and uh hard or soft and does it do you see it changing and how does it compare with what you've seen before
1: so um yeah hey uh, students debrief students if you guys want uh some fair grades you need to come to professor holmes because i'm giving it an a minus <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so uh and and the reason being is i i, I agree mostly with it what everyone has said about the criticisms um but i think that the criticisms don't detract from this beginning being excellent um you know, I personally have 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 spoken on on this show about my uh, you know my dislike of of the portrayal of the Klingon so far. Um, but uh, I I think that we we'll, we I think that they that the writers as as Kyle has alluded to and as we've alluded to before that the writers went into this knowing exactly what you know what the fandom was what the canon was and and they've got a plan um, the the technology which is another thing that I've kind of banged them on uh, in the past is another thing that they've gone into this with their eyes open and they have a plan there, there there are things in place or at least I have faith that they have there are things in place uh, so so there is definitely a chance for that grade to go down uh, but my expectation is that that grade will uh, rise up to an you know an A plus <laughs> plus 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 Ralphie uh, Ralphie style um, because because uh, this has been to 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 my eye the strongest opening of any Star Trek ever, including the TOS.
0: So unlike BSG, you think they have a plan?
1: Uh, yes, right? yes. Well, <laughs> and, and see, and, and and unlike BSG, they don't keep talking about how they have a plan. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> so so maybe they actually do have one. <laughs> right, yeah.
0: Of course no no uh, disrespect meant to a, right. another
1: wonderful sci-fi right. series. Oh, but but like BSG, I really do appreciate this prelude that we received in the first two mm-hmm. episodes. Um because like you like you said, it, you know, it it gave an immense amount of weight to that last moment in the midseason finale uh it gave weight to uh and, you know maybe not as much but it gave weight to that moment when burnham received from yeah. joshua her the family the the family heirloom of the telescope and that yes. she because she was so overcome with the guilt of letting, not only letting her mentor down but the guilt of feeling like she was res- wholly responsible for her death Um, you know, that guilt led her to giving the telescope to Saru. Um, and then, you know, her personal family heirloom, of course, was, was getting those dog tags back and, you know, she's going to hold on to those. Um,
0: Yeah. I love that thematic connection that you made because it totally seems absolutely emotionally and, uh, just emotionally true, you know? You
1: can have this but this is mine. right and and, and uh, there is you know that doesn't happen uh we don't we don't feel that if those if that first those first two hours didn't exist um and, right. and you know understanding it and also if you know if i'm going to give credit to the, the klingons for anything we get to understand who volk is as a mm-hmm. result of those first two episodes mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Even though he's disappeared from existence, oh, where, where is Volk? Is. Everybody, I can't see him. From I wonder where he is. <laughs> <He's a mystery. laughs> right. um, but but who is that
0: guy that looks kind of like Shazad Latif right. but is wearing Groucho glasses? I
1: can't, right, I can't. Is that But 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 I mean, so you know, uh, so uh, Volk and Lorel received a lot well, evoke more, more specifically received a lot of character building and, and exposition in those, in those first two episodes, uh, that was that I, I'm, I'm sure we'll, will find essential going forward, uh, into, into sure. the second half of the season.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, uh, there there are two things left that I want to talk about that I actually didn't get to put in the outline that's in front of you guys. But the first, uh, if you roll with me, of course, is the giant targ in the room as it relates to the, let's, let's get a little conspiratorial, right? <laughs> and uh, the truth is out there, you know, Kyle, <laughs> it, it it definitely seems to be. And uh, Kyle, in the episode where we first broke down the, uh, the, the connection let's say, or unconfirmed, but we're reasonably sure that the connection exists between Valk and Lieutenant Tyler. We tried to put like a spoiler tag on it beforehand, but then, you know, I certainly didn't expect that theory to, to gain wildfire as much as it did, but now it's just kind of like, well, you need to know about that in order to have a conversation about how this applies to the series at large. So what's your perspective on this apparent connection between these two characters and uh and how do you forecast it playing out
3: uh the two characters between uh valk and tyler and, um <clears throat> well i think they made it pretty abundantly clear at the at the fall finale that mm-hmm. they gotta be the same person but i think that like you know for a while they kept spelling it out really strongly and you couldn't not see the clues they were laying out it was almost <laughs> cheesy the the level and size of clues they are leaving out on the table for you right um and and I started to get like a little worried that maybe they're really throwing us some major misdirection awesome. which you know given the nature of the show that doesn't seem to be completely out of the ordinary mm-hmm. but they made it really abundantly clear to my eye that that he Vox and Tyler are the same person. Now I think the curveball is going to come from his inability to deal with, I guess, Vox's personality being inside Tyler. Like there's obviously two different personalities happening now. Uh, how that plays out is it suddenly feels like a wild card. Sure. And and Burnham's feelings being on the line. Like what what should have been a really clear-cut spy situation, sleeper cell situation – has suddenly become like an emotional minefield. And I think they're going to really dig that up, uh, you know, going forward. But I was really worried they were laying it on too thick. And now I see that it wasn't going to be as straightforward as they, as they were telegraphing to us, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, Lieutenant Tyler is a character, however he ends up shaking out, and particularly if, uh, you know, he's revealed to be Valk to the crew? Uh, do you think he's a long-term character, or do you think when he's discovered that there's not much of a future for him in uh, future seasons? Um, I think
3: normally he'd be shuffled off the show. And given the how they've treated characters previously in Discovery, his future is not guaranteed. Sure. But the wild card there is Captain Lorca, right. who doesn't seem to be very Starfleet, and he might, in fact, be from another universe. and if that's the case, like his connection to Burnham is outside of Starfleet normalities, so he might take a, you know, a soft position on Tyler. I, I expect he would be unpredictable about what to do with him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure.
0: And because uh, you had mentioned this to me a little bit earlier on social media, you wanted to try and address, perhaps... Uh, why Lorca seems to be so interested in Michael Burnham. Do you have any, yes. any thoughts on that? Or is this something that you are kind of okay with sitting back and absorbing the ride for? Are you theorizing as you're going along?
3: I'm theorizing as I go along, but I'm comfortable saying something because, I mean, I know as much as anybody else knows. Right. But, um, he, he's A, not from the main prime Star Trek universe, or B, more likely he is. And he's been time traveling. Uh, I think he's obsessed with preventing the destruction of the Baran. Wow. And that's my right. current theory. Yeah. Right? So, like, he knows just enough of future events. But because, you know, nothing plays out the same when you reset the clock or reset the tape, he doesn't quite know what's going to happen. But he's unusually bonded to Burnham. Burnham doesn't understand it. The audience doesn't understand it. But he's protective of her. He won't let her go on that away mission in the last episode to go to the Klingon ship. I think he is keeping her by his side and he arranged to have her brought aboard the ship because of something he knows that happens. And it might be indicative of like some future event that he has prior knowledge of. You know what I'm saying? Like It doesn't make any sense for him not to let her go to the Klingon ship. She had to spell it out logically, almost verbatim like she did with... uh, O, but like he's his protective nature of her is a huge question mark on the show,
4: mm-hmm.
0: interesting, yeah, so you think that that actually comes from foreknowledge of what her importance could be to some kind of event that we have yet to see,
3: yeah, and look at Admiral Cornwall yes. I mean also an excellent performance uh yes. she turned out to be a really lovely character. I hope she's not dead um.
1: <laughs> see, um
3: She didn't recognize the man. Like she comes to visit him, and like he's changed. He's colder. He's sleeping with a phaser under his pillow. His PTSD. Maybe he's from another universe. The writers are clearly trolling us. But you know, if he had suffered through the Baran or or some kind of time travel event, you could get the same kind of character dynamic, dynamic maybe.
0: Sure. And you know, I'm not exactly someone who subscribes to the idea that he could be from the mirror universe, but I did notice that he had a triangle-shaped scar on his back like is that from an agonizer maybe i I don't really know what, what you know tri- what
3: else is shaped like a triangle? what's that a delta uh, <laughs> yeah. like the delta, the delta region the delta triangle spot in oh. the animated series episode right and they showed oh us that last God. shot of uh of the of the ship graveyard yes. right so that that's two that's one strong connection to that episode and one very you know tenuous at best I think. Somebody in the writer's room is a fan of the animated series.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. That would be really cool. Cause now I'm glad that that show is getting more solidified in the continuity in recent years, because Mm. it absolutely deserves to be, you know, I mean, canonized Robert April for all intents and purposes. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, so Cicero, how does the conspiracy stand with you? And uh, do you have any predictions as we get ready to head into chapter two? About how it might ultimately play out.
1: Well, um, as Kyle was starting his explanation and he was saying that, uh, you know, that that protocol would 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 assume that uh, once once Lieutenant Tyler has been uh, been uh, kind of exposed as being this the sleeper agent that he would be summarily dismissed. Um, right. I. I i was i disagreed with that um because only because I thought that his the emotional connection both the viewer excuse me the viewer to Tyler and the viewer via michael burnham's uh the emotional connection that 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 this this triangle has created would would make him the perfect foil going forward mm. um you know mm-hmm. with where wherever they are in, in the universe the, at this present moment. Um, then, then, you know, Kyle went on and started talking about Lorca and, and all that other stuff. And it made too much damn sense. Um, but, <laughs> but I, 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 am I'm, I'm so, so curious to figure out, you know, obviously there, there is something there. Lorel obviously she's the key to it all. Um, understand it. Soon. Right. soon, soon, soon. She won't <laughs> let anything bad happen to him. She won't let anyone hurt him yeah. again. Um, she does all the pain. All the pain is hers. Um, but it's so you know when when Lorelle awakens awakens Valk within side of of Tyler. Um, you know. W- it's, it's, I'm, I'm just there for it. Like I, I can't even really predict what what's going to happen because the show is, is really kind of unpredictable in that way. Um, But Mm. yeah. And, uh, Oh, and then
0: that's, that's absolutely a perspective that I share too. I mean, and I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. It's hard for me to predict because I'm enjoying the ride so much, you know, and, and I I love that it's giving me that.
1: You know, but I'm
0: I'm sorry, but did you have a final? Thought?
1: No, 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 no. I mean, that was that was it. It's just the unpredictable, and I, you know, I can't. But yeah, I'm, I'm here absolutely. for it. So, um. Rachel, the conspiracy and the conspicuously handsome Ash Tyler. <laughs>
0: okay. um. He's pretty handsome. I, I think he's handsome.
2: Yeah, he's handsome. He's okay. handsome. I All mean, right. he's more handsome than Valk.
0: So. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> right. Well, it depends. There's different strokes for different folks. right? I mean, Lorel right. thought he was pretty L'Oreal, handsome. Yeah,
1: I mean, oh. Lorel loved. she loved that alabaster skin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we The albino <laughs> Valk. <Vulc. laughs> okay, I guess
2: so. Um, so I think, I guess, so we know Volk is Part of Ash Tyler, or is Ash Tyler, and they know we know <laughs> that.
0: Are you getting into Rumsfeld territory now?
2: <laughs> oh, no. right. you know, I my favorite person to quote Donald, <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld,
0: Rumsfeld. <laughs> yeah. the sage yeah. wisdom? Yeah. But uh, no,
1: yes, the known yeah. knowns no. and the known right. unknowns. They
2: they know we know. So the drama is all right. How when are the characters going to know, yeah. and how are they going to find out? And, you know, the details. And I'm really looking forward to that all being revealed and playing out. And I know it's going to be really awesome to watch no matter what happens. Um, so I'm really excited. And I think that Ash Tyler, I, I think he's probably will be gone for the second season i think probably based on the pacing that they've done mm-hmm. um for this first part that they're probably going to play out this storyline through the next um the next chapter or whatever and then he'll be gone next season okay. so yeah i mean i think once they you know f- figure out he's got a klingon personality or mm-hmm. katra in him <laughs>
0: klingon katra
2: yeah that you can't stay in starfleet for now
0: we accept everyone except that (laughs) well you know um i hope it's just a on a a wish list i hope that the theories that have been zinging like crazy around fandom surrounding section 31 kind of come into play i would love to see what that organization is doing in this specific era of of the uh of the prime universe just because I love section 31. I, my jaw dropped in into darkness when they were invoked, but I I would certainly like to see what they're up to. We've seen them in the 21st or in the 22nd century. We've seen them in the 24th. Give us some 23rd. Let's uh, let's round it out. Well, okay. So to finish the discussion, I just want short to the point answers. Where do you guys think they are after the jump that, uh, that, you know, Lorca, change the coordinates at the very last second so so where do you think that they actually are at this moment in time cicero you first into the future okay so you think time travel yes okay kyle
3: i'm gonna put my vote on the uh delta triangle micro
0: universe thing okay excellent rachel Mere universe. Mere universe. Although I I
2: actually think Kyle's probably right, but before I (laughs) knew that that was a thing, Uh I would have said mere universe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I mean, I would certainly love any of those possibilities. I kind of just hope they're in another section of the galaxy. Like It would be kind of wild if they ended up in the gamma quadrant somehow. I don't think it's going to happen it would be a hell of a twist though if uh if they played with our
1: expectations in that in that way but we'll see that would mean that klingons were also in the game of quadrant and have been destroyed that's true yeah who who might have destroyed
0: them i don't that wreckage definitely brings up uh, quite a few interesting possibilities well well guys we've we've kind of come to to the end of the road for this discussion but kyle Again, thank you so much for joining us for this. I hope you had a bit of a good time no, in, in talking the show with us. Thank you for having me. But, uh, absolutely. Hey, and it's an, it's an open door policy. You're welcome to come back anytime you're available. Right. But, uh, before we dismiss, where can people find you online and how can they support your endeavors that are both Star Trek related and independent?
3: Uh, uh, treks, Uh, is where you can find all the science fiction stuff and, um, I do other videos on YouTube. Uh, I have a channel under underneath my name, Kyle Sullivan. Uh, apart from where else? I guess Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Perfect. And what's your Twitter handle?
3: Uh, Neo Teotihuacan. You, you're going to have to write
0: that down. <laughs> oh, I was wondering how to pronounce it, so I'm glad that you told me. <laughs> Neo Teotihuacan. There you go. Perfect. And what's the origin of that? Uh
3: it's actually a philosophy. the Teotihuacan is a, an ancient city, a Toltec city, possibly Toltec in Mexico with a massive pyramid. And uh, the neo is like a sort of I don't know philosophy I have on my my nationality, if you will. Mm-hmm. yeah Perfect. So awesome. Very cool.
0: Well,
1: how do you how do you spell that?
3: n e o t e o t i h u a. C-A-N.
1: Yeah, it rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> Neo Teotihuacan.
0: Yeah. That's perfect. I love it. Uh, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to get something that uh, is so individually identifiable. Mine is just my name, so it's not nearly as well thought out or creative as that. But uh, <laughs>
3: Well, that's on your parents, man. I'm sorry to say. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true.
0: Well, uh, we'll... Thank you again for joining us and, and thank you at home for uh, for listening to this latest episode of Discovery Debrief. Um, we don't have any uh, listener questions this week, but we did get some feedback from listeners, Aaron, Terrence, Lisa, Bill, and Rebecca, that said they were really happy we were back for a review show. So to everyone, thank you so much for coming along for the ride with us. It's been a very fun few months in putting this show together and actually expressing our love of this wonderful franchise and, and getting to talk to uh, to each other and to you and to have an open dialogue about the latest exploration of the Star Trek franchise. And we can't wait to bring you more episodes of Discovery Debrief in 2018. We might be back once more before the end of the year, but as I'm sure everyone knows the holidays are a very busy time for everyone Rachel and I are going to be headed back to the Pacific Northwest in about a week and a half to spend the holidays with our families. But from all of us at Discovery Debrief, we hope you have a happy holiday season wherever you are and however you celebrate. But that's going to do it for episode 10. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you would be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. Thanks, Mom. And feel free to send <laughs> us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when our shore leave is up and when we return to duty. As always, though, until then, happy holidays and please... As usual, go boldly, my friends.